welcome to Season 2, Episode 20 of Game Dev with a Shot of Jameson. My name is Jameson Doral, and I'm a game designer with over 20 years of experience, and I like to help people learn more about video game development. Today we're joined by Kyle Rowan, the design lead at Weird Games. We talk about the development of the board game Vagrant Song, which is selling out everywhere, how creating game design docs compares to board game manuals, and even what a video game version of Vagrant Song might look like. Don't forget you can join the conversation live every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern over at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. There's a link in the show notes if you want to come get your questions answered live next time. But for now, let's get this episode started. Well, what do you say we uh we get started, man? You ready to talk about some board game stuff? Yeah, sure. Let's let's get going. I, you know, I kind of want to start at the end, right? Because uh, and we'll we'll go back because Right okay. now, Vagrant Song is, you know, your your new release. People are starting to get it in their hands. I'm looking, I look every day for a place to order it. And all <laughs> I find is pre-order, maybe you'll get it, you know, so. Yeah, or eBay right now for those like are 200 so bucks. Oh, not 200. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, yeah, my uh, buddy yeah, Ryan that's... McCabe got it. And I, I wish he lived near me again so we could, I could just go over and play with him. But. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's there's places around. Uh, you'd be surprised. Like, just that 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 strange local game store on the corner of so and so. Yeah, know, they they might have it. Yeah. Um, but the first print run went fast. Um, we're second print run is coming right around the corner, March, and we're already on a third, which is just insane to me. Um, like we were we were planning for a third print run before the game you know hit doorsteps like wow. that's that's so so uh, how, how does that work then is that like you guys you decide what your print run is going to be you put out pre-order amounts and then when people at, take all that allocation you you now start a second run is that kind of how that works yeah sort of i mean there there's there's like some math going on in the background uh the distributor interest and stuff yeah. like that um and i mean we're we're primarily a miniatures-based company, mm-hmm. um, you know, making skirmish games and war games, and that's predominantly what we're known for. So this was somewhat of an unknown to kind of the larger board game community. Um, and then we got some glowing reviews from big-time reviewers, and uh, overnight it seemed that it just kind of <laughs> took off, um, which is awesome. So Man, that is great. And it's... You know, it it's funny. We're, I always say we're in the board game renaissance right now. Like it's just over the last you know five to ten years, we just seeing stuff that we never imagined growing up we would see. Like we're even thinking about that kind of stuff becoming mainstream, especially. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. And so it's it's really cool to me just kind of see. You know, you you say it, it it felt like overnight. You know that it kind of got picked up, but obviously it was not an overnight thing to to make the product right. that was that you know that valuable. How long yeah. was the development on it? Uh, so off and on about two years. Okay. Um, so from you know from pitch to sending it to production about two years. But what ended up happening is uh, I pitched the game way back when, um, uh, as well as like a series of other games, and that was the one that stood out. And thankfully, that was the one that stood out because secretly that was the one I wanted to do anyway the most. Um, and then. Uh, we started kind of brainstorming on some of the concepts during that time. It was way more of a dungeon crawler. 
um, in the traditional sense. You know, you would put out board tiles and that sort of thing. Uh, the in the development, uh, we we made a lot of uh, choices as as you do in development, and it uh, kind of pivoted a little bit. Um, sure. <laughs> there was um, there was a, a fairly large gap in between. Uh, you know that that brainstorming stage and then the actual development mm -hmm. because like i said earlier we are a minis company and prior other priorities kind of uh got ahead of it you know mm -hmm. um we had uh large malifo releases at the time and that sort of thing so that ended up being my focus while vagrant song was kind of in this uh brainstorming sludge phase for a while uh, a while which in some ways was actually really good for it because, you know, on that random Thursday afternoon at like five o'clock when, you know, your brain is defeated, you could just spend some time to talk about the what ifs of mm. what we could do uh, for Vagrant Song. Um, the actual development of it probably took about 10 months. Okay. Um, like once we, once I was able to say, okay, no more, no more other projects. I'm just going to buckle dead and work on this. Um, yeah, that took about uh, eight to ten months, um, and almost that entire time we were actively playtesting. Uh, so, yeah, about that long. That's cool. So when you when you're um, you know, there's obviously that that discovery time, document writing, kind of figuring out what what you want to start to prototype and figure out. When you moved into a prototype phase, or you know, kind of, is your experience been like? Are you ripping up pieces of paper and like, you know, creating things like that? Or are you doing something digital or like, how do you kind of approach that, that initial prototyping phase? Uh, so yeah, we, we start with paper first. Um, and we, we talk a lot about like the things we want to do and like the general flow of the game and how the like, game feel. But one thing that I think might surprise some people is that we don't write the rules first generally. Um, the rules are going to get changed so much that it's not like a game design document where, you know, we're, for one, we're a small team, so the communication is really between, like, two or three of us. Um, so it's a little, little more rapid in that regard. I'm not having to talk to or a programming team and that sort of thing and, and work out the details. Um, and that allows us to find the feel and be more comfortable with scrapping things uh on the fly uh, so yeah we just kind of we wrote a scenario eventually um the very first one is mako joe that we ever wrote and uh i remember playing it with the 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 two guys on my design team right in front of my boss and you know it was we were just having such a blast and it just, it worked, you know, like miraculously it worked. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, significant changes since then. Um, at the time it, we had like, there were the problems with the health system. There were problems with the uh, ways dice worked and stuff like yeah. that. But uh, the, the core feel of it worked and uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great moment. Um, and then from there, you know, that's when we start, drafting rough prototype components more we start looking at structuring the rule book uh, and looking at those pillars that we ended up building during that sludgy brainstorm phase uh, the 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 things that define the game uh, and we use those as kind of the building blocks to move from there nice i love that 
So I'm, I'm curious about one thing. Do you guys have and utilize 3D printers at all now? Like for that kind of, it seems like that'd be a great tool for this kind of prototyping now. Yeah, um, not so much for this game because we um, we went with acrylic standees instead, but mm. that was um, that was driven by the art predominantly. Um, the art is 2D rubber hose, um, you know, Betty Boop uh, uh, sort of thing. Um, so the components that we decided to move forward with were these these beautiful acrylic standees, um, which caught a lot of people off guard because we are weird miniatures or weird <laughs> yeah. games. You know, that's how people know us. Um, but it, it, ultimately, it's the components that feel best for the game, you know, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, 3D printers help us um, see the scale of models for Malifaux, help us see the details that we might have missed when looking at like an STL on the screen and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, that it, totally makes sense. Yeah. So you mentioned the art style. That's something that actually really drew me to it when I saw the box and, you know, saw some of the, your promotional material. What, sure. At what point was that decided? And like, do you have like a specific art team or did you have like a, an artist design assigned to the game specifically? How do you guys structure that? So we have an in-house artist um, and she worked her magic on the project from, you know, the beginning to end. We also have a, an amazing graphic designer too, which uh, I would argue, you know, that, you know, a lot of his artistic, contributions also made the game look beautiful um but um the rubber hose style wasn't the first style that we went with um and it wasn't how i envisioned the game at first when i pitched it um, really I, yeah i was thinking way more of like a wood carved approach um with heavy black shadows think like uh something akin to hellboy mm -hmm. um that sort of uh mignola style um and we went through it. Um, we we tried that style. We tried other styles, um, and they all worked. But it didn't quite click. And it, you just know it. You know, you you just know the feel when you when you see it. Um, and that one just uh, those styles just ended up not feeling right. And then uh, Matt, my uh, my uh, co-designer on pretty much all the projects here at Weird. Um, he proposed, you know, off the cuff, why don't we go rubber hose? You know, it's we're talking about a game in that time period, 1920s, 1930s. And it just, once once we tried that out and we, uh, you know, we pitched that concept to our artist and she started rolling with it, it just, everything made sense. Like the tone of the game, the way that we were, uh, the style that we were going to write the game yeah. um the the characters and how we were going to hit horror but also humor you know like it all just meshed all of a sudden um and that was kind of like the sweet spot of when we knew we had something i think um once all of those all the pieces started to come together yeah how far into that process were you when that happened because I, I, i've i've experienced moments like that before and they are super powerful right when it's like Oh, I see all of it now, and and this actually has some real potential. Uh, so at that point, we were already starting to figure out the structure of the campaign, the care, the the haints or the enemies in the game that we were going to be fighting, um, the 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 vagrants that you're going to be playing, and that sort of thing. But uh, there was still a lot of work at that point. But we were in. Uh, 
kind of the art concept slice of it all. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. So was there any big like moments where you're like, Oh no, we've got to make a, a, a big change or something that didn't, you know, didn't quite go the way you'd hoped, you know, any of those big moments? Uh, yeah. I mean, mechanically all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's um, the one in particular that really sticks out to me is um, the way the enemy AI works and what we have now was totally different than where we started. Um, we were looking at games like Kingdom Death or uh, Gloomhaven in some regards where uh, there's uh, a deck of cards that would automate the actions for the enemies. Mm -hmm. Draw a card and you know it would tell you their initiative or some sort of equivalent and then it would maybe have an icon that would indicate what action it would. Uh, and the goal of that system is that we wanted to create this uh, where we would have like an initiative system of like 1 to 13 um, and it those cards we were trying to have hit in these random intervals in that 1 through 13 so that let's say we drew uh, the enemy drew a card at 3 um, then there was a chance that it could draw a card for you know 4 through 13 let's say it drew 5 and it would it would go at 5 at that point and then it would potentially go at 7 and go at 13 mm. so you didn't know if it could if it was going to create these epic chain reactions so to speak with uh, the card system but when we did the math it just didn't work that way regardless of the numbers that we put in of where we put 1 to 13 of how many cards we put into the deck the average ended up being that based on you know what how one card is drawn and how another card is drawn the average is we, we saw two actions per round and that just wasn't fun that wasn't the system that we wanted to um hmm. so we went back to the drawing board altogether um as like we scrapped the initiative system there's no initiative in the game anymore um there's no crazy chain reactions uh, of multiple actions per uh, round anymore and we went with this we already had the the bindle bag and uh with the bindle bag you draw rummage tokens from it and those rummage tokens allow you to do special things you can toss an iron nail out put a candle down kind of draw the enemy you can put out salt and uh cancel an attack and that sort of thing uh, so we already had this bag and this randomization there we had this Crazy idea of reutilizing some existing components, um, and that ended up creating a, a much more interesting and dynamic system with the combat because you ended up with a system that players interacted with and players could manipulate. I have all these rummage tokens. I don't want him to ha uh, to perform the salt action, mm. for example. So I'm gonna hoard salt, you know, uh. um, uh, and then. On top of that, we um, we created this uh, critical attack system, essentially, where uh, based on when you used a rummage token, uh, it could tr uh, if you had like four iron nails out, for example, and you just played a fifth one, it would trigger the a bad thing for the enemy to do. And regardless of when you played it. And then uh, on top of that, the enemy, when they would draw that token and it would get initiated on the track, uh, 
it would it would essentially combo together. Um, so that ended up creating you know another interesting decision point to me to make. Do I want to use this iron nail now? We're getting pretty close to this critical attack, you know, and that sort of thing. So it just ended up creating these these neat little layers to fundamentally a, a simple system. I'm drawing a token, reading the effect of that token uh, on the enemy AI deck, and then I'm done, you know. And um, but all of these other little wrinkles ended up making the game what it is today. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny as you say this stuff. I I think a lot about how it's it's so similar to to video game design, right? Like the fundamental process and and how you make adjustments and and when you kind of decide things are working or not are very similar, right? Oh yeah. So yeah. it's uh it's funny. Hellforge in the chat says he doesn't know enough about board games to ask a good question. Like they're they're so similar, right? I think the I think the big difference here in this specifically in this part of the conversation is the. The player agency is a, is is in a different way, right? Because generally, with you know, video game, it's I do something, enemy responds. Where in this case, you're talking about I can do something to you know to limit the the AI, and the AI itself isn't really an AI. You know what I mean? It's it's a right. you know, you're you're almost you know padding the deck in that in that way, and just kind of you know you know altering how things go there. It's interesting to think about. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so many similarities. I mean, game design is game design. You know, when it comes down. Yeah. So. Oh, there's a question in the chat saying, <laughs> first of all, they said they started their campaign and they've been a couple of weeks ago and loving it. I want to hear more about the campaign and kind of what that entails. But also, <laughs> if you were to turn it into a video game, what would you do? Have you thought about that at all? Only like every waking moment. But... <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it already plays like Final Fantasy Tactics on the table, only except... Ugh. From controlling five characters and tactics, you have a group of four people, each player controlling their own character. Um, I don't know if, what mechanics I would change, really, if I translated it into a, into a video game. Um, the, the major thing, you know, um, beyond, you know, the kind of the things that board games can't do, you know, like epic sound, uh, you know, voiceover work and that sort of stuff, I would... There's there's a lot of information that you can cheat in in a board game. You know, you could you could read that whole event section if you really wanted to and spoil it for yourself. Right. Uh, you know, we can hide all that stuff a lot easier in video game. Um, so yeah, that would be the first thing. But ultimately, it to me it plays a lot like a video game, so already. So interesting. So actually, do you want to give us just a little overview of kind of how it operates just to kind of get people you sure. know, a way to think about it? Yeah, so it's a two to, uh, Vagrant Sun is a two to four player, fully cooperative boss battler campaign game. Uh, so you're going to be playing as one of six vagrants that uh, you hop on a, a train. And as it turns out, this train's haunted. Um, you get right into the very first scenario of the game, which teaches you how to play. But... Um, Essentially, there's uh, an action point system, and we use uh, coins. Um, and the reason why we use coins is because of hobo nickels. <laughs> and if you're not familiar, um, hobo nickels are, uh, they started with, uh, you know, hobos back in the day used to carve into coins and um, sell them um, as, you know, little art trinkets and things like that. Um, so that's kind of where these coins got inspired from. But you have three of these. And during your turn, 
and uh, you'd be putting them on either general actions or skill cards that you can acquire along the way. Um, and that the, the stuff you can do is like you know really basic move. If I put one coin into move and my move value is three, I can move three. But if I put all three of my coins into it, um, I would be able to move nine, for example. Mm. Uh, there's uh, rummage, which we we talked about the the bindle bag. Um, I could rummage so for so many tokens, but regardless of how many coins I put in, I can only keep one. So the more coins I put into that system, the uh, the the wider uh, pool of options I have. Uh, there's uh, bust, um, and we can get into kind of the humanity system and the health system later. But bust is a basic attack action. Um, you put in uh, coins in it, and the number of coins you put in it. Um, indicate how much dice uh, you roll, and there's a value for it. Each some players or characters are better at uh, busting ghosts uh, than <laughs> than others. Um, there's investigate, so there's a bunch of events and things you can go check out, and uh, you know, the, kind of loop into the story more. You figure out what's going on with this ghost and their past and little knickknacks that they might have traveled with along the way you can find those sorts of things um, and then there's patch up uh, which is a self-heal essentially and it works uh, similarly with um, bust and investigate where number of coins equals number of bones rolled to increase successes and that sort of uh, turn order and player count is uh, expandable in the game um, so it's a two to four player game but regardless of how many players are the enemy is going to go after every player turn. Oh. Uh, so you get to decide who goes when. There's no initiative or anything like that. If I'm playing the Songsmith, one round I might want to go last. And, you know, maybe hypothetically in this instance, I I did so horribly on my rolls, I just need to get another turn in to feel better about myself. So I go first the next round. Um, but then the enemy goes. And then my friend goes. And then the enemy mm. goes. And then my other friend goes. And that's how we do player scaling in the game, in addition to some other things, like we adjust enemy health and sleep, things like that. But um, So that's one way we, we, we keep the, the momentum of the game moving at all times. Uh, a lot of these games are, traditionally are structured with um, all players go, enemy goes. Right, um, yeah. Um, so we went with something a little bit different, and it, it ended up, I think, being a smart move for us because we were able to balance these scenarios a lot easier that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, that three damage on that one attack, not that devastating, but when you see it four times, it, it can be pretty brutal. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, uh, what else? What, uh, how else does Vagrant Song work? <laughs> so I'm, curi I'm curious about one part of that. It's, it's really interesting because you talk, essentially there's a lot of player agency here, right? Right. And, and that's something I, I love in games where, it, it's not, you know, it's your turn. You do these specific things in this order. And, you know, some of it is maybe out of your control. I mean, the, the fact that you can choose what order you go in and around is very cool to me. But also, like, the currency you're talking about, you've got the choice of, you know, do I spend these on a particular thing now or later? Do I hold them? Do I use them? Like, that's, I love yeah. that kind of stuff. And that was just the general actions. So there's also, uh, each character has four skill slots and a junk slot. Um, the junk slot is, you know, the items, the passive things that you can get along the way that are going to buff certain aspects of your character. Um, and then there are skills on each side of your card as well. And these are, 
uh, unique, powerful actions that you can perform. Um, and you can spread out those coins. You know, you could do three different skills um, in one in one go if you want to. If you just want to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, or you can go all in on a skill, you know, and that sort of thing as well. The only limiting factor on skills that you have to be aware of is that you can't use the same skill from round to round to round. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there is that limiting factor. This the you know a fatigue or exhaustion sort of system that but the general actions you can do whenever um and the way you get those skills are in between scenarios you're going to use those same coins um but the way that that works is that um once the scenario is complete uh you're you're all going to be wounded you're going to be you know battered up you're going to be missing some things you're um and you're going to take all of those coins as a group and pull them in the center and you're going to be making decisions based off of uh what you've got you know mm. uh so i might need a coin to heal a wound my buddy might need two coins to heal two wounds um my my other friend might not have a fourth skill yet let's look at the skills we can buy okay we know those cost two um the maybe i don't have a junk card yet or i don't like my junk card i can spend three coins to get that and there's all sorts of other little things that you can do but it's a conversation that happens at that point. It's not just, okay, I want to upgrade my character. Um, we we really wanted to try to do something slightly different with an XP system um, that felt both uh, group decision making and also genuinely like experiential. Like you, the skills that you get from the 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 camp phase in one instance are themed in a way that it feels like you learned something from that ghost for, that you just battled against. So, um, Interesting. So yeah. 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 Yeah, and I want to touch a little bit on the, the having the enemy go after every player. I think that, that's a really cool decision specifically for the, the player scaling, right? Like, I mean, you to, mm-hmm. it makes two to four player balancing way simpler, it seems, which is really cool. And I'm curious when the when the enemy goes, do they uh, go after the player that just played or is next, or is that even random, like who they attack or whatever? So the way that it technically works is um, the 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 player who just went is going to be the same person who draws the token. Oh, okay. Uh, from the bindle, um, but the the targeting system is completely dynamic on the situation. Um, some actions are going to be specific, like target the furthest vagrant in okay. train car A, um, and and uh, others are just going to say target vagrant, in which case it's going to look at essentially a priority list of who it's going to go after. Uh, you know, it, it, generally it's going to go after the, the, the most hurt vagrant, um, and then it goes from, you know, this to that to that. Um, but this is where the candles become super valuable, because the candles supersede that, so... If there was an action that said, move three, target vagrant, uh, when range two loses two humanity or something like that. Um, what's it? Act, what the haint is actually going to do first is actually move to that candle that's in, in range of the movement. And that could, in turn, put it out of position to hit that uh, vagrant. Okay. So it's a little bit of a protective element. Like, get away from me. It's Go, go check out that candle instead. There's, Follow the light, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Squirrel. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting. Um, All right. So, yeah. So, uh, we've got in the chat asking about the ritual system. How's that work? Oh, yeah. So, uh, each scenario has three different rituals that you can perform. And think of these as um, objectives. Um, so, one, uh, and they're, they're all very specifically designed for that scenario. It's not just like, do three damage. You know, it's um, the the one in, uh, in the beginning of the uh, the very first scenario, the turn faces. Um, one of the rituals is ha uh, the turn faces goes from train car C to train car A, and that's a big leap. If you haven't seen the board, the board's really long, and there's three train cards. Um, normally, you can't do that, um, or an enemy can't do that. So there's a special way that that gets accomplished, and you figure that out as you're playing it. And okay. once you get that resolved, once that objective is complete, you flip it over and something happens. Nine times out of ten, it's good, but this is also a cooperative boss battler, so we like to throw, <laughs> you know, wrenches every so often. There's got to be a critical Surprises. fail in there, right? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, th that's how those rituals work. And uh, we talked about the coins in the camp phase. This is how you get more coins. Um, so you uh, a lot of these rituals are going to say, you know, gain one coin during the camp phase. So this allows you to heal that wound, allows you to buy that skill at an easier cost. Um, where was I going? I was going to talk about the humanity system, too, which I, I think is another thing that uh, players really seem to enjoy. And it's... Um, you're from, I mean, you've, you've played Final Fantasy Tactics and oh, yeah. all those classic Final Fantasies and stuff like that. You remember the Phantom Train in Final Fantasy III? Mm -hmm. um, do you remember using the Phoenix down on it? You know? Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so that's essentially where the health system is heavily inspired by. So um, you have humanity, Haints have humanity, uh, or Haints don't have humanity, actually, and you're trying to give them back their lost humanity. Yeah. When you let's say you have ten humanity, when you go down to zero, you're going to lose one of those skills that we talked about. It's going to get flipped over to wounded. When all of your skills are flipped over, um, you go westbound, which is a hobo term for, you know, passing on. Essentially, um, you're not out of the game, but you are temporarily a ghost, and you get this this micro objective that you have to complete, which is essentially come back to life, gain gain that ten humanity back to come back to life. Otherwise, you're going to lose one of those skills permanently. Mm. You can't ever get it back. But for the enemy, you're trying to give them back their lost humanity. Um, and the way that that works is we, we try to do a lot of symmetry in the game with, like, the haints should feel like the vagrants and vice versa. So with this, like, critical effect happening with the skills and the wounds, um, a haint might only have eight humanity as their threshold that you have to reach. But they have, like, four, three or four breaks. And the way that works is I have to reach, uh, you know, I have to get have them gain eight humanity, and when that happens, the haint breaks, they skip their next turn, every vagrant uh, gains one humanity, and then it restarts down to uh, zero again. So it's this this critical breathing moment in the game, um, and you're you're taking them down a little bit. But the way that the event system works is that we're allowed to put stuff on the the break track to to escalate the fights, you know, to make the fights a little bit more dynamic and uh, interesting and add things as, as the fight goes on. Those rituals that I talked about, those are going to give Haints back humanity, good chunks of humanity, usually, 
Um, so it's not just like, I'm going to go charge at the boss the whole time. It's how can we solve this boss puzzle? You okay. know? And so, so, so one, um, scenario or whatever it is, one, one gameplay session, you're, you're dealing with a singular haint and then you're trying to restore its humanity. Is that the right way yeah. to say that? It, it, during yeah, that? traditionally. Okay. Um, I mean, there are exceptions to that. Um, we try to make every scenario, you know, feel like an epic fight or puzzle. Um, so sometimes there's going to be, you know, a few ghosts on the table. Um, other times there might not be any ghosts at, at the start at all, and you have to figure out what the heck is going on, mm. that sort of thing. So. Okay. But traditionally speaking, it's, you know, two to four vagrants against one big baddie. Okay. And how long does an average play session take? Uh, so we say about 30 minutes per player, and that seems to have been pretty accurate. Okay. I mean, it's it's really impossible for a board game designer to accurately state that, because there's so many things you have to factor, factor in. Like, just driven by an individual player. Like, analysis paralysis. Having actions that you can choose yeah. um, can take someone take 15 minutes. Um, whereas reading the rule book over and over. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I got to go reference. Yeah. How does breaking a hate work again? You know, yep. that sort of thing. That's uh, so, me. Um, and I would say about an hour to an hour and a half on average for uh, each scenario. Okay. Um, but one thing that we're really proud of with Vagrant Song is uh, the setup and teardown times about five minutes. Oh, nice. Um, right. I, I love these big, complicated games, but getting them to the table scares me. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's literally the reason I bought a board game table, so I can just leave it yeah. and then cover yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Matter of fact, I've still got a Kingdom Hearts game sitting there from when my son was here last, so I need to okay. finish that or put uh, that back away soon. <laughs> is it the, the latest Talisman one? Yeah, yeah. Okay, right yeah. on. It's pretty fun. I, I haven't played yeah. that one yet, but yeah, I mean, Talisman's a classic. Yeah, so. yeah. no, it was good. We enjoyed it. Uh, it was a little interesting to, it was my first talisman game actually as well. Sure. So, uh, it was a little bit of a learning curve there, but we figured it out. There's, there's a few times there where the, I think the rules would have made more sense to someone who was a little more familiar with talisman. So we had to like really kind of dig in and figure out what specifically was supposed to happen. But you know, as you know, and we talked about that could have been examples of where the rules weren't clear enough yet and there need to be an errata and right. maybe there was, and I needed to go find it. Right, and I would say that that's one major defining difference between video games and board games. Um, I remember when I started uh, in in the board game industry, I had just come off of you know working for a year or so in the indie game space, you know, just after full sale and that sort of thing. And I was thinking in my head, I've I've written game design documents, you know, a, you know, a dozen times at this point. I'd, how different is that from writing a rule book? And it's it's night and day different. Um, so I mean, for one, you're writing to a different audience. Yeah. You know, I'm with a game design document. You're writing to your teammates. You're writing to programmers and artists and making sure that they're all on the same page with this concept. Whereas a board game, you're teaching someone you've never met and you will never meet how to play a game. Yeah. You know, and that's that's very different. Um, you have it's it's almost a different version of English in some ways. Um, so that it, was that was a, a big learning curve. It's interesting, yeah. When you mentioned that before, I hadn't quite thought about it that way because you're in this. So we design when we do design docs, we have an idea in our head for a video game feature, whatever it is, and this is 
our way explaining to people that are going to help us create that thing. Right. And that's, yeah. that's our audience. You know, the people we work with, we can go talk to whatever we need to do in, in this case, like what you're talking about is now what you're actually doing is marketing. Really? You know, you're, you're taking a thing and teaching people how to use it. You know, like right. it, it, it is, it's, it's a completely different skill set, especially right. Like when you're writing a document for people that understand, you know, they understand because you're building it together different yeah, than who knows who's going to read it out there. Yeah. It's, it's way closer to writing a manual to a VCR yeah. than it is to, <laughs> you know, the, some sort of communication device between teammates. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's wild to think about. Um, is there, so, okay. So have you guys, what's been your experience so far with like adjustments to the rules after the first box? Do you, already have like an ongoing list of things that, that you feel needs clarification or how are you approaching that? Yeah. Uh, so we were really fortunate with having a big play test team, uh, taking a look at vagrant song and playing regularly. Um, uh, I guess we captured their imaginations cause they kept playing and the, uh, I can't <laughs> thank them enough. Um, because there's no way we could find those problems without, without them. Like yeah. even, even if I played the game a hundred times, which I did, um, there's still things that I just wouldn't have caught or wouldn't have seen, or maybe I would, my eyes would have rolled over. It's like, ah, that's not a problem. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, uh, going from 30 play testers to, you know, a couple thousand now um, of people playing it. Yeah. Things have popped up and that's fairly normal. Um, now the difference between video games and board games is that we can't just release a patch, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we, what we're doing right now is we're, um, planning an FAQ, uh, yeah. to answer some of those common questions. It'll be on our website. You can download it. Uh, but, uh, luckily there's no erratas that we have to make, uh, for Vagrant Song. It's really just clarity stuff. Like, well, that's good. how does this skill interact with this character at this specific moment? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, overall, we're pretty happy with how it turned out. Thanks, thanks to our playtesters running it through the the grinder. You know. Well, that's something that is exactly the same as video game development, right? Like we have to have massive amounts of of hours put into these things to find things yeah. that we won't find. And and I think specifically, no matter who it is, when you see something enough, you you kind of are blind to issues, right? Oh, yeah. Like it might, the way that I would approach a problem is just the way that I approach it. And so when I design it that way, or even if I'm playing something else that someone else has designed, my approach is probably going to be at least similar, right? It's hard to kind of step back and look at your own approach to something sometimes and be like, how would someone who's never seen this before react in this moment? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, on top of that, we get, uh, like external play testing, you know, we might send the game to someone or might have it on tabletop simulator, uh, which is super valuable because they'll give us a game report and tell us how things went. But it's completely different than, you know, secretly watching them over their shoulders and, and seeing <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> those those experiences directly because you you won't get the. I'm confused about X, you know, those sorts of moments um, won't normally hit the game report mm. um at least the the soft ones right the 
the ones that really rub people the wrong way, they will let you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 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 the subtle ones, you know, like, is this how that works? I don't know. And those sorts of things we can, we can tackle by directly seeing. So we were able to do a little bit of both, but um, the majority of Vagrant Songs testing, uh, be, you know, COVID has been online. Um, but luckily, um, a lot of our playtesters were willing to, you know, let me, live play or watch the live plays uh interact with them and that sort of playing so it was almost as good as being you know that's cool yeah that's yeah. really cool we have an interesting question in the chat from hellforge uh okay basically talking about when you're making the rules and thinking about people that don't have english as their native language do you guys yeah. try to simplify things enough that it's understandable for people that know English a little bit and are trying to figure it out? Or do you do uh, multiple language versions? Uh, so that's that's a big question that I can't totally touch on, sure. actually. Um, but yeah, essentially, with Vagrant Song specifically, um, we had a lot of conversations about the tone of the game, not mm -hmm. just in the rules writing, but... There's a lot of creative writing in in this as well. It's a it's yeah. a narratively driven game. You get to figure out who this haint was um, to an extent, right? Um, uh, so, but I I wrote it in a way that I wanted to make it feel like 1930s hobos. You know, I wanted it to have that hay bale and cushion sort of vibe. Um, those sorts of things aren't going to translate well, yeah. uh, which, you know, is a limiting factor of the game. But a common thing that board games do generally do is get these, uh, get the rules and uh, the the writing translated 100% uh, to to get out to, you know, Italy or Germany or Japan or wherever. Um, and they'll do their best. These translators will do their best in hitting the same feeling or tone that you know something that is so fully Americana uh, that might not fully translate um, hypothetically. Yeah. Uh, in this instance, right? Uh, so, uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of a, a common thing that happens. Uh, we, it, you'll get multiple versions of the same game. Uh, translated in languages. That makes sense. I can't remember if I told you this uh, when we talked about this last time you were on, but my grandfather was a hobo in the 1930s for a while. Did I ever tell you that? You did not tell me that. Why didn't I talk to you like a year ago? I, I don't know much. I don't know much. I just know that he literally sure. would hop on trains and ride to the next city and and find work and then, you know, or do what he needed to do. And then when that ran out, he would hitchhike on another train and, and find a new place. And apparently he did that for, for a while across the country. Yeah. And that was a lifestyle, you know, that wasn't something that, you know, people looked down on. That was in some ways that's, that sounds so freeing. It does. Doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, and that's something that um, we've run into as far as um, talking about this game, um, you know, publicly to the community who, might not be familiar with that lifestyle or that history of, you know, of America, of traveling train tracks or going and finding odd jobs and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, 
we we looked at we we re, I I researched a ton first off. Um, Dharma Bums is one of my favorite books, and that's that's just about that lifestyle. Um, uh, by Kerouac, um, on the road too. Um, my brother got me into that stuff. He kind of got obsessed with it as a kid, but um. Yeah, you have to do that sort of research. You have to treat everything that you do, and uh, especially in like this is, I would say, semi-sensitive because uh, you, you, these days you don't think of hobos as that lifestyle. You think of homeless and right, uh, you know, the, the negative connotations and that sort of thing. And that's just not the thing that we were trying to uh, do or exploit or anything like that. We're trying to talk about American history, you know, in in a fun light. Yeah, I mean it's it's you're right. Like when I growing up, when I heard the term hobo, I thought homeless person, or you know, it had a negative connotation. It wasn't until my mom actually told me about her dad doing this that that I found out what it was really like. And and like yeah. you mentioned, it sounds really neat, especially like at a time where you know life was much simpler in the 1930s, right? Like 1920s. So like you know, and, and especially in a country that was still developing, rails were still going up, right? Like you know, who. There's, it's just a, a wild time to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'd, like, I'd like to think, like, if I was in the 1930s, would that be a thing I would do? I mean, I already kind of look the part, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, I mean, what is the—that's uh, actually something to kind of think about is you, you're probably not able to, like— clean up as often, you know, I, I, where do people stay? Do they, do they get rooms somewhere? Like how, there's probably a lot of nights sleeping under the stars in that life, I would assume. Uh, yeah. So there's, I mean, there's camps, um, you know, the, um, the one thing about uh, that we try to translate in Vagrant Song is uh, the hobo code, which is um, back in the day, uh, hobos would carve certain symbols on, you know, wood posts or trees or, you know, certain areas um, that all had this unique meaning. It was essentially this secret language. Um, like, this this place has jobs. This place will feed you. This place uh. will give you comfort. Don't go over here because, you know, uh, back then... Um, Police that would, you know, kick you off off the train, and it might even be a term that's still used today. I'm not sure, but they're they're called bulls. Um, so you might see like the bullhorn somewhere uh, nearby on, on a wood post or something along those lines. So that was kind of like this hidden language, this communication between hobos that would, you know, they might not ever in directly interact with each other, but they'll mark something saying that this is a safe place or don't go anywhere. Man, did you find any way to integrate any of that stuff into the game? That sounds really neat. That was neat. an initial goal that we wanted to do. Uh, we wanted to do a lot of secret information and that sort of thing, but we ended up finding that ultimately it pulled people away from the experience because mm. it ended up becoming this not quite an escape room, but you were focused on the on the, a different puzzle at the at that point. So instead, we started. Uh, utilizing it as part of the narrative like you might find a carving in the train car and it might tell you x yeah um so that was the way that we tried to solve it with the the structure that we built yeah so here's an idea for you if you i don't i don't know if this is there i don't know if you've even thought about it. i'm sure you've thought of it but what if there's a faint that was a hobo 
right? And so that whole interaction now is these kind of clues that he's leaving around to help you kind of figure out what he is, who he is, and part of that scenario. I'm just saying, just throwing that out there. It sounds interesting to me. Yeah, no, I'd, uh, we'll we'll see if I write that down in a few minutes or not. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I like that. <laughs> so what, uh, man, I, so first of all, I am super excited for you, right? Because like just seeing, you know, Dice Tower talking about the game and just everybody that's, that's picking it up and already talking about it and we can't even buy it anywhere yet or barely, you know what I mean? Like it's really hard to get a hold of. Some what people have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the people that knew early enough to order early, smart people. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I assume that, you know, product chain stuff right now is, is part of an issue and, you know, getting, getting parts and everything and all that kind of stuff. But where are you like, what, what's kind of like on your mind about the game right now? Like, as far as like with what you're seeing and, and hearing, like, what, like what, what's your general state of mind about it? I, honestly, I'm still kind of in outer space about it. Uh, uh, I, I always thought that we had something special. Um, the concept is strange enough, but you can take an interesting concept and you know toss it in the mud. You know, it it could end up being absolutely garbage um, very easily, um, especially with. Luckily, I have some really great teammates to to pull me out of those crazy idea situations. <laughs> like, no, Kyle, let, let get back on the road. You know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and they, you know. Every step along the way, um, uh, I, I had a, a bunch of people on our team that uh, helped make this game awesome. Um, uh, but yeah, um, you know, I, if 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 I see someone on Twitch playing Vagrant Song, I'm lurking. You know, I, I'm I found you. I'm right. watching. You know, I, I'm I'm checking out the reviews. You know, I'm 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 on cloud nine about this stuff. It, it's it's so unreal. I I, I can't believe that people are getting the game in their hands at this point, playing it and having fun and having these, I'm hearing people, uh, we have a, a play weird discord where people are just talking about these things that they're experiencing and like the equivalent of like a water cooler moment at work. Like, Oh, remember, remember when we did that? Um, so seeing those sorts of things is just incredible. Um, it, I can't put words to it. I really I love that. Is it uh is it set up in a way that you can replay the same scenario and it can be vastly different or like uh, so yes and no um so the the whole game is twenty three scenarios long um and then the way that the campaign structure works is that at certain points in the game you're going to have choices to go down certain chapters you know you could go A B or C and then once you let's say we choose B um. I'm going to go down all the way through B. I'm going to play, you know, five scenarios. And then at that point, I've got A and C still. And I get to choose which ones. And um, what makes that interesting is that those skills that I gained in B are now going to help me in ways that had I gone into A at the first point, I wouldn't have had those things. Mm. Um, and, you know, we throw some some things along the way, too, to kind of mix things up. Um, we knew early on in development that the event system in the game was going to be both really interesting and in that we could tweak it in 10 different ways. Um, it's on a bunch of different tracks. It's in the bindle. It, you know, it interacts with so many things in the game. But 
we knew that going in and, and going all in on that, it did create somewhat of a limiting factor in the uh, It's the same way of playing the uh, a campaign to a video game uh, the second time. You know, you you know that story. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but with that in mind, if you're okay with that, the combat is going to feel different every single time you play against the same scenario because it's not just okay 30 seconds in i'm going to be doing this big swipe attack it's i'm drawing one of five tokens something's going to happen you know um and that's going to change and pivot how the game works um your dice rolls are going to change how the game works because that one event that you might never experience maybe the second time you actually got to it and got to experience the good thing or maybe you got to complete the puzzle uh, before time ran out and that sort of thing. So um, it depends on what you are comfortable with replayability-wise. Um, I would say it is, but I do understand that some people are going to be fine with playing the campaign once and feeling fulfilled, you mm -hmm. know? So and I think those people, though, would probably be interested in playing again, potentially with a different group of people, right? Right. Or if yeah, anybody so else is having a new experience, it kind of makes it new for you. Right. Um, and that was, a, that was a big deal to us in the beginning. Um, I, I, I've said it's a two to four player game, but there's six characters to choose from. And that was uh, really important right from the start. Um, in a four player game, I hate being the guy that chooses last and just gets stuck with the character nobody wants to play. Yeah. Um, so having three options at the end was really important. Um, the way the characters grow in the game is unique. So the songsmith is going to hit certain story beats in different ways. They're going to get unique skills that other characters can't get, and they're going to play very different too. So if that's a wrinkle that you're really interested in, you want to see, you know, I want to see the flayed man fight with just the curse bearer and the revivalist or something like that. You can experience that. Uh, I had something else that I uh, that made the game. Uh, oh, um, one thing that is um, interesting to me, a little bit of data about board games in particular. Um, the average board game actually only gets played zero to four times ever uh, after it gets purchased. Um, so to me, as a designer... If I'm making a campaign game that people are driven to play 23 times and get to the end, yeah. I feel like I've done my job. Oh my gosh, uh, absolutely. So, um, <laughs> I so definitely yeah, fall kind of within that. Zero to four is what all of my board games, except the, except for the few handful that are my, I pull them out for every occasion. Right. Yeah, mine are all zero to four. I still have some I haven't even opened yet, and it makes me sad. We all do. Yeah. I've got one right here that I just got that I'm I'm gonna open. That that I don't let them sit too long, but everyone's got. Them. <laughs> oh man! So I'm curious, what where did you bring or where did, how did you get to the decision of two to four players? Did you ever consider solo, and and did you consider more players? It was it was originally one to four players for the longest time, um, and you can still play at one to four. You can still play the solo. You play um, as two characters, or is it right? Yeah, I mean that would be what what I would suggest. Absolutely. Um, the the limiting factor of of solo games is, um, at least in my experience, if you're going to play a solo game, a lot of the ways you want to play a, a game that's designed specifically for that solo experience, 
um, with Vagrant Song, we wanted to do we wanted to have some secrets, uh, and it's difficult to do that if you're playing two characters. You can't. Maybe you can say like I'm having a secret with within myself. Maybe you can separate that. I don't know, but um, there are instances where in Vagrant Song where you make choices by yourself. Um, in a purely solo game, you uh, you can min max it a little bit more. Um, there's in between cards, for example, at the at uh, the end of every camp phase, you're gonna draw um, an in between card, and each player in secret is going to put one of their coins ahead, and on the other side of each coin is A, B, or C. So you're saying, I'm choosing A in this instance. I want to see what A does to me. And then they flip over the card, and each player experiences something unique. Mm. And there are other elements in the game where those sorts of decisions are being made. Um, if you're playing solo, you can choose A and C. You know, you can see the, the wide options, whereas if you were playing a two-player game, there's a chance that both of you might choose A, mm. and you you know um, so that's the only reason why we describe it as a two to four player game. Minus that, the rest of the game can be played solo. If you're looking for a tactical combat boss battler narrative game with you know ghosts and and hobos, it can be accomplished <laughs> that one. What a, what a super unique thing for right. someone to be looking for. <laughs> If you're looking for that specifically, right. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. But I also love how unique it is, right? And it's it's interesting. You'll see, you know, companies like Fantasy Flight that have, you know, a lot of the same kind of of rules across their games, a lot of the same kind of tokens, you know, they'll they'll build some kind of, you know, a lot of companies will build like here's our toolkit of pieces that we have and now let's take that and kind of put another narrative to it or, you know, use pieces from this and that. But, you know, the, the, the thing I like about this is how unique it is. Like, like that art style, like I mentioned before, is very cool. No one, I've never heard of a game about hobos ever. So like, right. like it's just, it's super interesting and cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's not like it came out of the blue either though. Um, there are clear, ob uh, you know, inspirations. Um, Kingdom Death, I mentioned. Mansions of Madness is is an obvious one with uh, the event system, uh, and every system that we looked at that we really loved that we wanted to integrate, we still tweaked considerably to make it our own. You know, the AI system is no longer a deck of cards now; it's this whole weird bag thing, uh, so on and so forth. So, I think it's good to be inspired by stuff that's out there, but oh, yeah. you, you've you've got to come out with something fresh and wild there's i mean i know the video game industry experiences this with how many thousands of games go onto steam every year but the board game industry is in a very similar place right now where there's there's like 2000 games a year coming uh so you have to you have to look strange you know you have to catch yeah. uh everyone's eyes um so Hopefully, I mean, it seems like Vagrant Song is doing that. Uh, we we can't print the game fast enough, so. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a terrible problem for, for us right. that are trying to get it, but also sarcastically a terrible one for you. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, man, that's, that is awesome. I, I'm obviously super excited about finding one myself at some point in the near future. I've, there's a couple of local <laughs> places that I've been in touch with about it and waiting to see, 
uh, if they will get them soon. But if not, I might just have to bite the bullet. I'm, I'm honestly in that spot where, like, do I, like, go to the, the Weird Games website, just pre-order the next one that's not going to come out for a little while, or do I Mark, Mark try? Mark too far away. That's true. Know? I guess that's true. That's true. Um, But honestly, what I would recommend is if you've got that local game store, that place where people are going to play, you know, Malifaux, Warhammer, Dungeons and Dragons, um, put a pre-order. Um, they'll they'll order it through their distributor. Um, yeah. th and that's just the safest way to get it these days. Um, you know, the, the second print, from my understanding, is already kind of locked up. Um, <laughs> and uh, so you might not see it just, you know, window shopping until the third reprint. So uh, you might want to... That, that's what I would suggest to anyone who's, who's maybe... Uh, listening in chat, if you want to check out this game, you see, but then there's go to those local game stores. You know, they're, they're most of them are friendly. Yeah, th no, definitely. Like, like game stores <laughs> are some of the most generally some of the most friendly scenarios that you can walk into. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, my wife has trouble pulling me out of them. I'll just wander yeah. in a game store. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. I get it. <laughs> But look at these dice, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I took my son to buy some his his first sets of D and D dice uh, when he was here uh, not long ago, and we went over to a local game store and I actually asked them about the game, and they they said that they they couldn't guarantee you know that they could put in a pre order for it. I was like, all right, I'll try somewhere else. But there sure. was so many types of dice. There there was hundreds of choices, right? Yeah. And so he was just overwhelmed. I'm like, all right, you stay here. I'm gonna go do other shit. Like <laughs> there's plenty of stuff to look around here at. I'm going to go do that for a while. You figure out what you're going to do. And, uh, you know, then we'll go from there. So <laughs> you can get lost. You're right. Like you can spend so yeah, much yeah. time just looking at different games. If people's playing, looking over their shoulders and watching them play. It's just, I love it. I love the community. It's, it's very similar to, well, is it similar to the video game community? In some ways, I guess it is, but Actually, maybe it's not so similar now that I now that I think through it. I don't see the toxicity in the board game community that I do in video games. Yeah, I mean there there are elements of it. Um, it's inescapable when you uh, put like a tournament out, you know, sure. and, and yeah. people are gonna get they're gonna get riled up in a certain situation. Um, generally speaking, though, I I can't think uh, of more than like three people. Uh, that have ever rubbed me the wrong way when, you know, either going at convention and just sitting down with, you know, with people I don't know yeah. or working a convention and, you know, interacting with folks and that sort of stuff. No, the, the tabletop industry the community is amazing. Uh, one thing I would recommend if, if you're interested in getting into board games, um, the idea of sitting down and playing with people directly sounds good to you and sound for me it's therapeutic in a lot of ways you know because you for so long my entire life i've been playing these fairly isolating video games but you know sitting down and socializing and shooting the shit with others you know mm. directly um it's it there's nothing quite like it you know um i would recommend almost every town's got a board game meetup or something like that yeah they're not gonna they're not gonna be evil don't be scared you know just go throw some dice go go move some workers in a worker placement game with them i'm sure you'll have a fun time 
Yeah, the best part about the scenario you just described is it's the way that I like to play games, and that and that is I don't want to be the the person running the game. Oh, and, sure. And, and like yeah. so, like Ryan McCabe that's in the chat. I always love playing games with him because he knows them inside and out. And I just come and I get to experience it. And I know that someone else is going to handle the rules lawyering, right? You know, right. It, it's good if I come in with a knowledge of the game and that, you know, I can kind of pick it up and, and, and contribute in the right way. But man, and that's what you get at like, you know, you talk at local board game meetup, come in, see what they're playing. Ask if you can sit down. They'll show you how to play. They'd love oh, to yeah. have someone else play. Yeah. They'll, they'll freak out, you yeah. know, <laughs> nine times out of 10, please sit down. Let's, let's get around in, you know, or. We're full, but I'll I'll show you how it works. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, just kind of speaking on, um, if you're just getting into board games and you've got a group that's also interested, one piece of advice I would give you, you'll you might learn that you're not you're not the 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 rules person, and that's fine. But if you are setting up your own kind of thing and having friends over. Read the rules first. Yes. Don't don't <laughs> don't learn it with everybody. Be the teacher. Um, it's gonna save you a lot of pain. It's gonna save your friends a lot of pain, and it it, it you're just gonna be able to sit down and actually play, and that's what you want to get at a lot of. So. Yeah. That, that would be one one bit of advice I'd I'd give out to to anyone who's interested. I'm Diving with you. into. <laughs> The, the classics, you know, the, the diving into uh, some uh, hobby that's been around for, you know, a couple hundred years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I say my, my favorite way of playing is to to not be that person, but I more often than not end up being that person because I'm the one who bought the game. You know, it's yeah. my house. I'm having people come over because I want to play the game. And what I actually do, I agree with you. Like I, I have to spend a day or two kind of learning or refreshing on rules the first thing I do with any new game now is almost every game has some kind of a video tutorial that, that the company has provided or someone has done a let's play of some kind and I can watch yeah. and get the overall vibe and then dig into the manual for those things that I missed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, even if you're just, you know, I got to do the dishes, but I just want to listen to it. You know, yeah. you're going to get a lot of info. That, um, yeah, absolutely recommend those sorts of things. And it, there's so many, awesome content creators yes. for board games that like uh I, I could ramble on for hours just go search for a board game that you're interested in and uh you know learn to play or walk through or anything along those lines and you'll you'll find something that that'll teach you without yeah. even opening yeah just go to youtube and put in the name of the game on its own and you'll get yeah. like oh, yeah the game in two minutes, you'll get the uh, first play you'll get, here it is in 30 minutes, like whatever, the way you want to digest it, you'll find. And I, I usually look at like some kind of an overview to like, give me a sense of the game and kind of how it works. And then I'll tend to go watch an actual playthrough because I want to see like how things are set up. I want to see kind of what the turn order goes like, the kind of things people do. And then usually I end up seeing something like, oh, I didn't understand that at all. Like that's something right. I would have done totally wrong. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just seeing the flow of, yep. of how the game functions. Like sometimes you'll read a rule book and it'll just bounce right off. Of, what am I supposed to do? Right. Where does this thing go? Oh, it goes right there because th th that makes a lot of sense. Okay. <laughs> we got a side question from Bunny Kimber in the chat. Is there a demo of the game on Tabletop Simulator? For Vagrant Song, yes. Uh, you can play the uh, the first two scenarios for free. Just search for Vagrant Song. 
and you could play against the turn faces and the flayed man. Um, both are kind of like the tutorial of the game. One will teach you how actions and events work, and the other one will teach you how to survive. So, <laughs> man, all right, well, that's gonna happen. Uh, so. <laughs> Let me know. Well, I'll I'll teach you how to play. I Let's know you it. love learning the reading the rule book so i'll i'll do i'll i'll be the teacher that day oh, dude that would be a blast we should definitely do that that'd be fun yeah i'm Let's down set up maybe we could do an extra stream one night and uh do that live and let everybody experience it with us totally i'd, I'd definitely do that nice all right well let me write that down <laughs> <laughs> so uh let's see what else are we what have we not touched on yet um T tell me about, are there any major differences between like a two player and a four player playthrough other than time? Or does the kind of the flow kind of stay the same? Or is there any kind of major differences that you found? Um, no, so there, there, there definitely are differences. Uh, you'll, you're going to have slightly different experiences from scenario to scenario. Um, and once we kind of realized that we were, we, we were ultimately okay with it. Um, because the game is, we, we designed the game to be hard. Um, mm -hmm. and some scenarios are going to be easier in a four player game and others are going to be really soul crushing in a four player game. Um, whereas, you know, th it might be the a complete opposite situation in a two player game, but they might struggle against this other scenario, uh, differently. And we're fine with that. Um. Ultimately, what we wanted to average out, though, is that you're going to lose, or the aim was, we wanted you to lose one to two times in the game, maybe three times, maybe four times, and that's okay, because the game is fail-forward, and the, uh, the certain elements happen in the game that impact you based on the losses. Um, that was really important to us from the beginning of the design process, is... Uh, not having to repeat a scenario that you just got to the end of and failed uh, because of the event system that we uh, talked about and how uh, going through those repeatedly can can get a little repetitive, understandably. Mm -hmm. I experienced this story beat already. You know, it, it, it doesn't have the same impact. Having to do that again after failing is such a bummer. Uh, so instead, we created this interesting system where, okay, we lost. Everyone went westbound. Um, what happens next? Um, and something horrible happens. I'm not going to spoil that for right. you, but you are going to move on to the next scenario. Now you've just got this extra weight on your shoulders, you know, okay. this, this thing that is, uh, gnawing at your ear, so to speak. So, um, interesting. And you'd already mentioned that like in between, uh, I, I think you were talking about in between scenarios where, as a group, we're coming together. I need health. You need a new ability. So it sounds like this right. would put something else into that pot that you need to now yeah. consider that maybe you deal with now or can't deal with now and kind of lives with you for a bit. Yeah. So uh, at the end of uh, each game uh, or each scenario and sometimes in between or in the actual scenarios, there's a, a moment system, which is like an event plus sort of thing. Um, where you would go read these specialized bits of text that happen at certain points in the game, uh, whether you reach a certain milestone in the game or, you know, X, Y, and Z also happened. So now go read moment 18 and that sort of thing. 
um, to add additional layers uh, to the experience and to broaden replayability a little bit more because maybe those things didn't line up for you the first time you played, but the second time you did, and you got to see this this extra th hidden thing in the in the background. Um, but there's also win and loss text in between each scenario as well, so those are gonna contribute to those uh, those things that happen. So interesting. So there's not like a a legacy component though, right? Like. You're not going to be tearing up anything. Okay. You're not going to be stickering up anything. No. Um, it, but, I mean, the the one legacy-like thing is uh, if you remain westbound when the scenario ends, you're going to lose that skill forever. But you don't have to tear it up. You just put it right back in the box. Hmm. Wait, did you say westbound? Yeah. Uh, so that's that's uh, that's the hobo term for you know passing on to the you know the next life. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that's the term we used. Uh, you flip over your your card, and you've got like this ghostly version of yourself, and uh, you interact with on the board in a little bit of a different way. Um, so you still, if you die, you still exist. You still participate. You're still contributing to the success. Uh. Um, there's no player elimination. In the next so. scenario, are you still dead? Uh, no, you... so at the end of the scenario, um, everyone comes back to life. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so for the faint, if if you succeed, are they coming back to life? That's kind of the idea. You're okay. you're sort of letting them go. You're um or let you're helping them let go. Okay. Uh, essentially. Okay. Um so yeah, you're not you're not you can't kill ghosts, you right, know. Right. You, they're they're already there. <laughs> right. You know, at this point, you're you're trying to help them, and that's kind of um, one of the underlying themes that we wanted. To, yeah, it's a boss battle, or yeah, it's technically you're fighting them, but you're you're doing it in a way where if you're the songsmith, you're playing you know a banjo tune and making the 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 ghost dance, you know, and reminding them that one time, you know, back in their former life where they had a, a good dancing moment you know that sort of thing that's that's kind of the, the mental picture that you're supposed to kind of uh, imagine that's happening okay you know i just realized i haven't asked an obvious question yet okay w what is the connection between hobos and ghosts i don't know okay i, I didn't know if there was a specific <laughs> yeah. one or, or it's just it's, something you kind of brought together uh so i mean there's always been Maybe it's the train, actually, that actually is, it connects one to the other. The, 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 the train is the glue. Like, hobos and trains makes a lot of sense. Ghost trains are in so many, you know, bits of entertainment. I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if it wasn't for Final Fantasy VI. That, that, you know, that game molded me in a lot of ways. And that Phantom Train is something that... Um, Absolutely, uh, I, I pulled inspiration from for here. So the only difference is that you can't suplex this train. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, it, so we certainly would be on the other end of a debate about whether Final Fantasy four or six was better. Um, now I I love four. <laughs> I love four. Uh, it was sure. uh, well two here, right? Um, right. That was the that was a a a life defining RPG for me. You know, I I'd sure. played, I'd played final fantasy. I'd played dragon warrior, but this final fantasy four was a game that 
like it really resonated with me and and it kind of like showed me what you know like oh we can have like a real story in this like the characters are identifiable you know that kind of thing and uh so that was had, had six been the first one i played i would have felt the very same way you know and i know right. that it's exactly it's a that's, nostalgia that's what thing. i was gonna say yeah. it's it's a lot less about the game at that point and about like where you were in your life you know right. um, yeah like uh yeah final fantasy 6 was just the right game at the right time uh, it taught me that you know i could feel emotions by you know it and narsh you know like <laughs> what's happening to shadow you know yeah. <laughs> these things that are happening that i didn't think that i could experience uh, you know on by pressing the a button um yeah, uh, and for so many others, it's you know Final Fantasy VII, you know, and yep. uh, or beyond that, Final Fantasy X. Um, those, those just kind of depends on where your formative years were. Really, I, I agree. I think that that is the key. And the more that I think about that debate or whatever, I'm like, which one was kind of your defining RPG? And it's it it's one of those for a lot of people. Final Fantasy is, you know, for a lot of people, is the thing that that kind of flipped that switch for them. And uh, yeah. And I and I searched for games similar to them the rest of my life, you know, and right, and absolutely did that. Um, one seven game is, got pretty close. What's that? PlayStation One. One game got pretty close. Is like, oh, this this really scratches that itch. Did you ever play Sukaden Two? Oh my gosh, that game is amazing, absolutely yes. amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I played the first one as well, though. Actually, oh sure, and, uh, sure, yeah, and, and I loved the first one, but the uh, the the main character and his best friend. That, that's that moved me as yeah. the, as a teen, you know, like genuinely. So, yeah. In the chat, Legend of, Dra Legend of Dragoon was another one that I've heard about yeah. that for a lot of oh, people yeah. too. Yeah, and and then you'll hear things like Chrono Trigger uh, that you know that kind of resonate yep. with people. That's actually a game I have not played yet, believe it or not, and that that's on my list to make sure that I get to uh, sometime so in the near that's future. That's your Earthbound. Then it is. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got it's one that I've got to get to. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm, I keep waiting to hear about a remaster or something for that. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's a pixel remaster of Final Fantasy VI coming out in a couple of weeks. So, have you seen these Is pixel there? remasters? No, yeah. I, I haven't. I haven't played six in a while. Yeah, uh, because I could be completely wrong, but the 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 air around them these days about like the 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 ios versions and the smoothing out yep. or the changing of dialogue is just kept me at bay a little bit like i i don't want it tainted you know i i get um, that and like it, it could be all you know flies buzzing you know it, it could be complete nonsense it's just i'm not ready to take that dive in yet i um, i hear you and the Oh, it came out on Steam today. Okay, I thought it was coming out uh, a little bit later. Um, okay. So I, I well, bought the Final Fantasy IV Pixel Remaster, and the way the way that they work is they cleaned it up. Like the, it's it's not okay. a remaster, or well, I guess it kind of is a remaster, but it's you know they they kind of added some they they smoothed things out, right? And you know, and it's kind of like and it looks good, and, and you can set the resolutions to it and all that stuff to make it look nice and fit on your screen. Um, but it very much looks like the game that I know, just kind of like okay. a, like someone took a modern paintbrush to it. So, uh, but there were some complaints, like the the font apparently that was used. People really were not a fan of the font in four, at least. Um, 
And, you know, I'm curious to see, but I also, so the thing that you just mentioned is, is, is a concern for me as well. Cause like, I want to have that, that real initial experience again. So for six, I, I don't remember much about the game. I remember things. I remember the characters like, but I want to go back and play it again. And I have it. I think it's on the SNES classic edition. I think, which I have. I don't know. And, and I think that's the, an original port. So I might do that instead before I see the pixel remaster. If anybody in the chat knows, let me know. Uh, but Whenever I have the urge, I've, I've got the SNES and the, the cartridge still. Uh, that, that's, that's my way of firing it up. I, uh, so I was just talking to my wife about this the other day. I, first of all, at some point I sold or traded in or traded like all of my old games. Except yep. right up here on the shelf is my original Final Fantasy Tactics version. There you like, go. Like from that I bought like first month it was out. Uh, I'm really, really, really hoping that the Sony rumor of backwards compatibility is coming so I can just play it on my PS5 in my living room and be happy again. Um, you want to play the classic, cla the original, or War of the Lions? I want to play the classic. Okay. I do. Okay. Uh, just, I can respect that. I, just, I'm a War of the Lions guy. Uh, once I appreciate that update it. came out, oh boy. I'm with you. Me. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. But I just, I kind of want to hit that nostalgic feel, you know, going back sure. to when, when you know, Hamado was what, what a monk had instead of First Strike. And, you know, and it worked all the time <laughs> and no one could ever hit my character, like, like those things. So I do want to, I want to go back to that a little bit. Uh, but sure. the version of Tactics, the War of the Lions on, um, mobile is actually really really good if you haven't oh, yeah. played it and oh, yeah. well, for those haven't yeah i i've i've played tactics through maybe 30 times at this <laughs> yeah. point i love that oh boy i'm gonna have to fire it up tonight after all we're talking about it so. <laughs> <laughs> well i love that 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 was a game you had in mind as you were designing vagrant song like oh yeah i well, didn't I even mean, know tactics that games to begin with um i I grew up with Shining Force first, oh. um, and uh, I didn't have a Sega, but my neighbor did, and uh, yeah, Shining Force 1 and 2, loved them, and I mean, looking back at them, you know, they're flawed games, but it, that, that doesn't matter to me, you know, uh, I, I still remember those moments, um, yeah. and I've just grown up loving tactical games. Some games I bounce off of, strangely enough, that a lot of people love understandably like xcom i can't get into uh we are I, so alike man <laughs> <laughs> i've tried xcom so many times yeah yeah i've i've bought different versions of it i've tried play like maybe it's because i'm not playing with a controller or you know it, i keep trying and i keep bouncing off of it um and i don't i don't know why um and maybe it's because the story doesn't pull me in um maybe it's the the theme i don't know that every time i play it i'm like oh that's a cool thing i love I love the Overwatch mechanic or whatever. Yep. And that's that's as far as I get. I and and that's where I start to realize that there's something about Final Fantasy Tactics and that's different than than games like XCOM or Gears of War Tactics or like any other sure. kind of tactical game that happens like that, which is why I'm a little nervous for Project Triangle Strategy because I I don't know if it's going to scratch the same itch for me. But yeah, I did think you play the demo? I did. Um, okay. And I was a little overwhelmed with the number of characters I had to think about. Um, sure. I felt like it was it was a lot. And that's the reason I can't get into Fire Emblem either, because there's just so, so many characters out there that I have to deal with. Um, 
but I, I think the fantasy setting is a big one, right? Like, and right. anything that's that's sci-fi or or modern doesn't resonate with me as well, or even like modern future, you know, like that that vibe. Um, so it has to be fantasy based, which I've always loved most, which is why I played Warhammer Fantasy instead of of 40k. Uh, sure, but there, I, but like I mentioned, Jean d'Arc before, it, it was almost a tactics clone, you know, setting like medieval okay. times. Right. And I think you'll actually really like that game if you could check it out. Um, but yeah, I'm, so there's something to that. I love the tactical part. I am definitely a turn-based person. I'm not a real time strategy person with anxiety sure. and ADHD. I can't do RTSs at all. It, it just absolutely yeah. blows my brain up. I'm the same way. I need, I need time to think, mm -hmm. slow things down. Yeah. please. <laughs> it's funny too. Cause I'm like, I think quickly, like I'm really good at thinking on sure. my feet in life, you know, just in general. And, but man, whenever there's like armies coming at me and I'm thinking like, wait, do I need resources? Do I need to, to build up defenses? Like, what am I doing here? I almost like need someone to tell me, what do I do? <laughs> like, I can't get comfortable yet. Like, I don't I know, know how I to need do more pylons. You know, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like geezer talk. Richie says in the chat. Back in my day, we <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it, it's true. Like, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, I am getting older. I I am starting to to feel the reflexes just a tad. Um, you know, firing up Halo Infinite and back in the day, I was pretty good at Halo Two. I feel like a slug these days in comparison. Yep. <laughs> I am um I am slowly coming to the realization I need to be okay with playing games below the standard difficulty because yep. I want to experience them and I don't want to be right. frustrated with uh the experience. I am not the demographic anymore, right? Like yeah I, I'm not the yeah. I'm not the median, <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. When I uh the Last of Us, for example, or The Last of Us Two, I, I played on easy mode because I just wanted to experience that world. Yeah. Um, if I played it on hard mode, like I did, like I would have as a kid, I would, I would just be a ball of stress, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so. I mean, when I was a kid on you know original NES, all games were hard mode. Like, right. <laughs> like there was nothing easy yeah. about game. <laughs> and, you know, and every almost every game was like if you eventually failed and died you had to start over and it's like oh come on sometimes like, at level one yeah, yeah. ninja <laughs> gaiden man that was the one that always stuck out to me like ugh. Get... rygar i don't know if you remember oh, that I one love rygar man. okay yeah so, that, that game kicked my butt as a kid <laughs> yeah what's really funny about that game i often think about it because of the point where you could jump off the map and onto like an alternate version of the map Right. And, and it's like, how would you know? Like, I don't even remember how I found that out, especially the time we didn't have internet. But yeah, it was just probably. that that kind of stuff is so cool to me. Oh, yeah. Fez did some of that, but uh, it, it wasn't the uh, the same experience because, like you said, there was no internet back then. This you could look up. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've played Fez, but. Uh, I have not, actually. I have it, but I haven't played it yet. I, I, it's a very, it's nothing like Rygar. I don't know where I made the connection actually, but, um, it's, it's lovely. It, it, it's way more relaxing than Rygar is. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, so, uh, Canadian corn dog says I'm, I'm more sensitive to laggy controls as I get older. I still play most games on the hard setting though. I do not play anything. There is not a single thing that I would play on a hard setting anymore because I don't care about, I'm not a hundred percenter. I, I don't care about being yeah, a completionist. I'm the same way. 
Yeah. I, I want to experience it. And and a lot of times I don't even finish games because I feel like, oh, I got I got the gist. You know, and there's a hundred other things that I want to play. Um, but I there is not I don't know that you could do anything other than give me large amounts of money to make me play something on anything m- normal or lower. I just don't sure. I don't care. Like I don't care to play something that's difficult. Yeah, and even when it comes, like, I love the, you know, the Souls series, Bloodborne. Uh, Bloodborne is probably the only game I've 100%ed, you know, is I got the platinum, that shiny platinum. Um, we are more alike than I realized, because Bloodborne is the only Souls game that I put, like, 50 hours into. I didn't finish it, but I put a sure. lot of time into it. But, yeah, even even for those games, like, I'm not afraid of, you know, getting a buddy in, you know, like... My ego isn't being destroyed if I I had some help fighting this boss that I you know was getting obliterated. Yeah, I I just want to see the game. I want to experience it. I want to I want to experience it all. You know. I'd, yep. So the thing I found interesting about Bloodborne, and I hear a remaster is coming, right? Aren't they doing a, a PS5 remaster of that? I mean, we can dream. Right? No, I, I no, mean, I think they are. I think I think. Oh, they, have they announced that? I okay. think so. Um. Bloodborne remaster. Let me look this up. Or, uh, yeah, it's supposed to come out. Wait, there was a leak about it. I don't know if it actually happened. Does anybody know? Did did Bloodborne actually get remastered? It's I, one of those rumors that have been floating around. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, and also a, a, a sequel, right? We can hope. Oh sure, yeah. I remember um, they revealed like a three second clip for Sekiro of like a, a twisting, bloody mechanical arm thing. Yeah. And I thought for sure it was Bloodborne 2. Lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, so here's the thing. I, I originally, I, I avoided the first two Souls games. I jumped into Dark Souls 3 at one point because it was new. I had, I had the time and I, I just couldn't get into it. I, and I don't know sure. if it was controls or, or kind of what it was. And it was obviously difficult, but there was something about Bloodborne and there was a bit of like, like a lot of my work friends were playing it. They had the whole, you know, you can, you can see where people have tried to do things. They can leave hints, you know, your friends can leave hints for you in the world. Like that stuff is really interesting to me. I love asynchronous multiplayer. Like the me and you getting together to play a game is way more difficult than, Oh, I jump into the game and you left something for me or I right. saw something you did. I love that stuff. Yeah. But, but the thing that really resonated with me was how much it felt like an old school Nintendo game, which was like, Right now I press left. Right now I press trigger. Right, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, like almost a intuitive QTE system. And and if I got the pattern down, I'm like, okay, I can get through this part of the level. And I get here, and now I know that this guy's going to attack from here. And there's a lot of memory and you know yeah. that kind of stuff involved, which is neat. I, I like kind of that, that format. That arm raises, and I know I have to go left at this right. exact moment. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's what that's what scratches the itch for Souls games. Having that, I mean, we just talked about not having reaction time, but having that reaction time <laughs> uh, and and getting those experiences that 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 feeling of, I I didn't get hit by the giant knife, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, I got him in the Achilles or whatever. Um, yeah, those those moments are so. Fun. Yeah, and and thinking about Bloodborne, like it was the game where you could complete, you could keep making your progress through, but there was also these optional things. You're like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with that yet. Like that, that right. thing looks clearly like something I'm not ready to <laughs> to encounter yet. I'm going to go around that, and we'll come yeah. back to that later. 
All right, so now we got to replay Final Fantasy Tactics. Now right. we got to replay Bloodborne. <laughs> you got to play Jandai Arc. You got to. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> you got to check out the Pixel City Remaster. On, uh, which? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the, the the Six Remaster. Yeah. I yeah. wonder if that Tactics game is is still on the PlayStation Store because I don't know. That that's like the only way I'd be able to get it. Other than, you know, probably eBay for you know my arm. Yeah, <laughs> the cost of my arm. Do you have a PSP? I had. Or a Vita? I have both. I had both. And, you know, I, at the time, I was still doing the game trades. and Same. I don't, yeah. I, this is collecting dust. You know, I'll get rid of it. And so that's, I finally got a ugh. PSTV, and uh, that's, that's how I played Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics somewhat recently. Um, hopefully it's on there, because I'll absolutely fire that. I also have a PlayStation TV, but I have not used it for anything. So I didn't realize that I could grab tactics and play that that way. So that's, that's a little eye opening. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the whole reason why I got it. Yeah. <laughs> that is fantastic to know. That's War of the War of the Lions, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It, the, all, uh, at the time when I was downloading games, the entire uh, Vita catalog and PSP catalog. Interesting. Man, we have gone way off of <laughs> of Vegas on board but, games, but you know, but you know what? It, it doesn't really matter because ultimately, what yeah. we're talking about is you know the things that interest us, things that inspire us, the things that you know. It, it's really fascinating to me that you love these kind of games just like I do, but but that kind of influenced you know something in a completely different genre, which is board games and. Oh yeah. Like like was that intentional? Like like did you go in and be like I want to make something that's like tactics? No. Uh not initially. Uh I knew at at the time when I pitched it I wanted to make a dungeon crawler which has some tactics vibes in like the core functionality of most dungeon crawlers anyway. Like here's this grid-based movement. I'm going to be performing these actions and I'm going to be growing this character. Um so in in those regards like it was already kind of ingrained in the system but um, yeah, it, it it's always in the back of my mind, right? Like when I'm when I'm with that type of game, those things are influencing me indirectly. You know, I'm I might not be consciously thinking about like, man, I want to take this character and turn him into a cleric or whatever. Or I I I remember that fight. Uh, once he got the zodiac stone and it really blew my mind. Like that's the moment I want to embrace. But, uh. Those sorts of things, like I, I still wanted to accomplish, whether it was, you know, subconsciously. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about how when I went through when I went through my full sale education back in two thousand two thousand one, and I got to final project, and when they're like, "What do you want to make?" We literally made a tactics clone, and oh, yeah? we, we called it Mercenaries, and you know, it was all about making an you know isometric. We wrote like literally, we made a clone, and yeah, it was a very 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 like concise and mild version, right? Like it was not nearly as feature rich and you know, all that kind of stuff. Cause we had two months to make it obviously. Um, yeah. But, but uh, still two months to do that. That's, yeah. It's pretty impressive. We, you know, we got, we had like four different, three or four different character classes. We had the whole grid based system. You could rotate the map. Um, and I actually uh, worked on doing a uh, network code for it. I, one of the things that I did was I made it, you know, it, old school 
you tell me your IP, I give you mine, we connect, and it actually connected and would would do that stuff. Awesome. Because um, that was my dream. That was the thing as I was playing the game growing up. I was like, I want to play this against someone. Like I want to oh, okay. make my crew. Of, sure. I want to make my crew of people, and and I often think about like how I would structure that system. You know where, you know I've got points that I allocate, and so I've got a hundred points to put on a dark night. What what skills can I unlock with those points so that there's a balance between like your crew and my crew, and so we each have X points to spend, and where's the best place to spend those, and then we just battle. And and that that's like a dream scenario to me. I think you can actually do that in War of the Lions, right? But I have not. Maybe at one point, I don't know if that functionality is still there, um, but it sounds like you need to play a skirmish tabletop game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's, you're talking like Malifaux right there, or, you know, Bushido, or Kill Team. There's there's all sorts of them out there. Um, that's They're inspired by those old school games, too. Oh, man. Yeah, a buddy of mine plays Malifaux a lot. When, it, when he saw that you were on here last time, he messaged me, he's like, I love that game. So <laughs> <laughs> great. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, yeah. No, I have to check it out. That's uh that sounds, but you know, the problem with that, especially right now is it's harder to kind of get together with people and do that. So yeah. Yeah. That is absolutely the truth. And board, the board game industry got impacted by COVID in so many different ways. Like in, in that way in particular, um, you know, it's, it's these are social experiences and yeah. getting together was challenging at best. Um, things are softening up a little bit. You know, you get vaccinated, wear a mask. You're, you could probably sit down and play a few games. And that, um, but what we did is um, we really embraced the online space. Um, it, uh, there's a, a community created uh, Malifaux mod for um, uh, tabletop simulator that you know is fully functional. There's uh, another app called Vassal where it's kind of completely over the, the cameras over uh, the heads of everybody. And instead of like 3D models, you're using these discs with their you know their avatars on it and stuff like that. But it functions the same way. You're still performing actions you're still drawing cards and that sort of thing so um play people are still playing the game um and had we not embraced that i think we've been a little more trouble um because yeah you you can't go to the game store right now uh well now you can you can you know yeah. a year a year ago you probably either could or maybe shouldn't have you know like the, depends on the area yeah it, it's um it's really interesting like the <laughs> We were in a, a scenario where we were home a lot. And so if you had people in your home that were into board games, you were living the dream. You know what I mean? Right. Or if you had a, a close group of people that, you know, you were you were quarantining together, whatever, you know, doing that kind of thing. But that's that's not I don't think that's the rule. You know, I think that's that's more rare for people. And because usually in a household, there's the board game person. Right. And then there's <laughs> the, the other people that either roll their eyes or yeah right exactly (laughs) yeah that's my wife Uh, she tolerates me but uh but yeah during the pandemic uh i mean we i played a lot more two-player games than i ever thought i would um you know i in the past i've liked larger scale games three or more players and that sort of yeah yeah definitely 
I got to experience this this completely like these tight little card games. You know, we're gonna play this twenty minute card game, and Airland and Sea is was one in particular that I yeah. really loved. Um, but yeah, have you uh, played that's... Love Letter? Oh yeah, Love Letter uh, oh, yeah. is my go to. That sure. that's my intro game. Like my my parents who. Like the the most they normally play is like Rook or Monopoly. You know, like they're they're old school gamers. They sure. love Love Letter, and and it's it's just simple enough that that I think just about anyone can play that game. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I would also, I uh, as far as like non gamer games, I would recommend The Mind. Uh, I've heard about that. Yeah, it's. It's it's one of those games that people like to argue that it's not a game, and I'm not interested in that conversation at yeah. all. Um, but um, essentially, it's a it's a game where you don't speak. Everyone has uh, you know a set of cards, and the goal and there's a hundred cards in in this one deck, and the goal is to play the cards in order uh, until you reach 100, um, or it might be the oh, other way around. Oh yeah, maybe. yeah, I've played um, that. Yeah. But you're if 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 it like, oh, I played uh, a one. You played an eight, but you know, Bill's got a six. There's an error. You know yep. that we just failed. Yeah. Um. So, uh, that's that's a great intro game to to show people how people who aren't familiar with this space uh, to uh, to really experience something different. You know. Yeah, and so the, often do I tell people like when I'm playing board games or the responses I get, oh, like Monopoly or oh, like backgammon. Yeah, no, no, more like this game, you right. know. And <laughs> it's funny because that game I think is one where it gets more interesting when you're playing with someone that you know, right? So you yeah. can anticipate the way yeah. you think they would play this game, and I think that kind of stuff is super powerful. It makes it really interesting. Yeah, that game. That game changes completely based on who you're playing with yeah suddenly it could become like this rough and tumble thing if you're not familiar with one another but if you know someone well it becomes almost a rhythm music game right. in some ways right um like okay it's been three seconds you know that he hasn't played something yep. i'm gonna play something yeah and, so. and as someone who i'm very calculative right like we're in, in a way that i'm constantly being like okay this is my next number what are the odds that that person has an, a card lower than this? And how right. long are they taking to do that? And how well do they know them? Okay, I'm going to play this because they've hesitated just long enough, you know, because you can't say anything. Like, you, yeah. you're not supposed to actually communicate at all. So, like, that's, I love that stuff. And it takes a minute to get out, you know? Yeah. Board games are great. <laughs> they, you're right. All right, so we, we are running up on time here. Uh this has been absolutely fascinating to me. I love hearing about this stuff. Uh, we, I think you and I should connect. Let's f find a time for us to do just a, hey, you're going to teach me Vagrant Song. We're going to play it on Tabletop Simulator. We're going to hang out and have a good time. Let's uh, let's Heck make yeah. that happen. Yeah, get, get uh, some other people in here, and we'll, yeah. uh, we'll do a four-player thing, and I'll, I'll teach everyone how to play. Happy that to sounds do that. fantastic. And actually, I might even go into that with zero knowledge, so I can just, like full on tell me what i need to do and let's figure yeah. it out <laughs> yeah be i'm 100 percent down that sounds awesome all right cool man well i super appreciate you doing this uh we will find some time to do that i'm gonna jump off here and say my goodbyes and we will talk soon yeah thanks for having me again this was great awesome appreciate it we'll talk to you soon man
Sí. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can join us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral. Every Tuesday, I'll have a new podcast episode ready for you. Be sure to follow me on all of my social media using the links in the show notes and join the Dev Team Discord to be a part of the conversation anytime. We'll see you soon. <laughs>